to the nomcast the netflix original movie podcast i am your host andrew morgan you can follow the show at nomcast pod on twitter and instagram and you can check us out on the web at nomcastpod.com all right thanks for joining us to all the boys we continues here on the pod because the new film to all the boys always and forever is finally here the final installment of Laura Jean and Peter's romantic trilogy drops on Netflix today. And as we mentioned in the intro to our last episode, I planned on having another very special interview with one of the creators of the film. And I am happy to say that screenwriter Katie Lovejoy is on the pod today making her podcast interview debut so it's even more special than i could have even imagined uh katie gives us great insight into how she got to this level of her career how she approached such a daunting task as adapting a famous novel and the end of a movie trilogy at the same time and what she hopes we all take away from this excellent new film it's a wonderful conversation that fans of the film and burgeoning writers and filmmakers are sure to enjoy so we will bring you my talk with Katie Lovejoy in just a moment. But first, I wanted to encourage everyone who might be here because you're a fan of the To All the Boys series to check out our previous episodes on these films, like our interview with director Michael Feminari and our review of the second film, P.S. I Love You, from last year. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss our review of Always and Forever that will be out on Wednesday. All right, let's get to it. After this quick break, we'll have our interview with the amazing and talented screenwriter, Katie Lovejoy. Thanks for listening. Forgotten Cinema is getting romantic for our eighth season and just in time for Valentine's Day as we cover the 90s ensemble drama, Beautiful Girls. We'll then do a complete 180 as we dive into some spy films, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and Spy Game. We'll find out why white men can't jump and whether you should shoot to kill while enjoying a Frankenweenie. Nope, that doesn't make any sense. You know what else doesn't make sense? This season will also feature our 100th episode of Forgotten Cinema. Feels like 100 years. Don't I know it. Forgotten Cinema. Never stop, never stopping. Yes, that's a hint. Part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Do you like beer? Do you like podcasts? Do you like beer podcasts? Then check out Crackin' One Open, a podcast about brews, news, and pop culture reviews. Every week, we crack open a new craft beer from breweries around the country. And sometimes the world. We'll talk about how it was made, what's in it, the history of the brew, and the brewery. Then we'll give our tasting notes, and while we're finishing up, we'll talk about some of the latest goings-on in the world of pop culture. So check out Crackin' One Open with Mike and Elise, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. I am glad to be joined by screenwriter Katie Lovejoy, whose latest script is To All the Boys, Always and Forever, coming out on Netflix this Friday. Very psyched for for everyone else to see. I've seen it a couple times now, and it's truly great work. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Before we get to this truly wonderful script that you wrote for this film, I'd like to hear about your story a little bit more, because I definitely have... More than a few writers who listen to this podcast, and it can be a tremendously frustrating 
uh, but rewarding process and equally frustrating yet rewarding business to be in as well. <laughs> and, yeah. and when I did my research on you, it reads like the opportunity to write this script and have it produced is kind of the breakout of a future writing superstar. Uh, I, I know you, maybe you don't, no writer ever sees themselves that way, but I like, I, I would say like between the Humanitas prize fellowship, a script on the blacklist, multiple TV pilots for major networks, including executive producing on some of them. And now you're here with this script and another script being filmed as we speak. How do you characterize your journey and how do you feel right now that your work will be brought to millions of people on Netflix? God, great question. So I would say there's some adage that I don't know who to attribute it to in Hollywood that said it took me 10 years to become an overnight success. <laughs> right. Um, and that very much has been my path. Uh, I've been working professionally as a screenwriter for 10 years. Um, but my, I am very blessed. My journey began, I was very young. I got my first professional writing job when I was 23. Um, yeah, that's amazing. I won... I, so I won a student humanitas prize when I was in college and I got repped off of that prize, which it's funny now I'll, I'll go back and I'll speak at uh, USC film school, my alma mater and kids will ask me, well, how do you break in? Uh, and I always joke, <laughs> win a writing contest. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is true that, that writing contests are one of the, are one of the ways to get represented. And I remember when I was a student, I thought, Oh God, if I could just get, representation then I would have made it and then you get representation and you realize it's just the first of many mountains that you will climb and um nevertheless I was very fortunate I I um was hip pocketed by a feature agent at CAA before I graduated as an undergrad and then I graduated in 2009 into the worst economic recession since the great <laughs> depression with a super useful degree in screenwriting uh and I you know I really I struggled to find a job for a while, but I had interned as uh, a student in the writer's room of a sci-fi channel show called Eureka. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And that October after I graduated, they needed a writing writer's room PA. And so I raised my hand and begged them to let me work for them. Um, Bruce Miller, creator of the handmaid's tale and Jamie Pollio were co-show running at the time. So oh, wow. it was a wonderful place to work. And I remember uh, when I when I took that job because I was so naive about how Hollywood actually worked. I said I am gonna get my first professional writing job by April of next year, and this was October of two thousand and nine. <laughs> and um, on March thirty first, I was hired to do a character and dialogue polish for Disney on a movie called Prom, which was my first job. Oh wow! And um, that was really kind of the first time. I mean, that was my first professional writing job. And uh, I, I, a few months later, sold my first piece of broadcast development uh, pilot to ABC called The Spellman Files. It was an adaptation of Lisa Lutz's amazing book series. Uh, and then I made the blacklist and I was like, I'm in, I made it. I've made it in Hollywood. It's over. <laughs> and then I was unemployed for a year and a half. <laughs> that um, sounds about right. Yeah. So I would just say, you know, I, I chipped away. I just kept working. I went up for open writing assignments. I lost a million of them. Um, I actually, the thing that's so funny about the To All the Boys series is I remember I was actually, I, my agent sent me the book to read when it first came out, the very first one. And 
I think 2014 was when the book came out. I believe and, so, yeah. Um, I loved the book, but they were looking for a writer. I forget what studio it was at at the time. And I just knew there was no chance I would win the job. It was too successful of a book. They were going to go. I'd lost too many open writing assignments. I knew they were going <laughs> to go with somebody who was established and had credits. So I didn't even bother throwing my hat in the ring. And even though I really loved Jenny's book. Um, and so when years and years later, I was approached to write the third of these movies, I just thought, wow, life is life is funny how things come around. Uh, so I I found a lot of opportunities when I was an emerging writer in television. Um, that seemed to be the place where there was maybe a little bit more of an appetite to hear from young, uh, unknown voices. And so I really focused on development uh, and I just tried to sell a piece of broadcast development every year for multiple years. And the fifth one that I sold was the first pilot that I got produced, which was Miranda's rights for NBC. And the net, I took a season off. I wrote a movie for universal. And then the next season I came back and I wrote dead inside, which was produced for the CW. And you know, that saying of, does it, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, did it really fall? Right. I feel the same way about broadcast pilots. Like if a broadcast <laughs> pilot gets produced and no one sees it, did it really happen? Sure. Um, so that was the thing that was so incredible about the opportunity on to all the boys is I, you know, at that point produced two broadcast pilots, I'd executive produced them. I'd seen them all the way through production and post and then had them not get picked up to series. And so nobody else ever got to see them. And when I was approached to write the third to all the boys movie, I just knew I was going to write something that people were actually going to see. And that kind of opportunity is so rare in Hollywood. It's so rare to get hired on something that you know is going to get made. And I just feel so blessed that the trajectory and arc of my career led me to the moment where I would be ready for that kind of opportunity. And on a, on a property and a piece of material that I loved and that is such a meaningful and important franchise at this moment. And I think cinematic history and also in terms of representation and I just feel so, I don't, I kind of feel like I don't really know how I got here, right. um, but I feel really, I would say, I think it's a combination of luck and uh, hard work. And that's the advice that I always give to writers is that if you, if you stick in long enough, if you can see yourself doing anything else, go do that. But if <laughs> right. you can't just stick in it long enough and you'll, you'll prove yourself so that you'll be at the right place at the right time for the right opportunity. And that's really what this movie felt like to me. Well, again, congratulations for your success. It seems Thank like, you. you know, that road was, has definitely paid off. Um, I'm curious to know also, like you said you were approached for, for part three, but uh, you're also thanked in the credits for part two. Was there some kind of uh, like work to kind of a pre-work that helped with the end stage of that film or anything so basically um the way that the production worked is the is the movies were filmed back to back right um and so i was writing the third movie while they were shooting the second one uh and so there was there were because um i actually i listened to your episode with michael Feminari, the director um who I'm honored <laughs> uh well it's also partially because this is my first time ever doing an interview which again it takes it takes 10 years to become an overnight success so I was nervous <laughs> about it so I was doing my homework on you and I saw that Michael did an episode and I thought well I should listen to it and then shoot off his homework because he knows how to do these <laughs> um <laughs> so he 
he and I uh, just developed a very close working relationship while we were working on the third movie. Um, I feel really fortunate. I, I feel like I kind of tripped and fell into such a great collaboration. And so there were some things that came up on the second movie that he would ask for my eyes on or, or pitches on or, or, you know, thoughts. And um, I ended up getting to be involved a little bit in the second movie, but I can take absolutely no credit for the script or the success that the second movie was. That was, that was all everybody who, who was there before me. So, um, but, but I did, I was around while that movie was being shot. And so Michael and I would talk about things from time to time when he wanted, you know, eyes on a scene or to bounce something off of me. And also a big part of writing the third movie was being, not only was I trying to adapt a singular movie, from a singular book, but I'm, I was also responsible for trying to close out a movie franchise. And so I really felt a strong responsibility to pay off and really do justice to the arcs of the characters from the first and second movie. Um, And so for me being really steeped in the second movie was a huge benefit as I was writing the third, because so much of the third movie for me creatively was about trying to create close-ended arcs in the third movie, but also close out the arcs of these characters in the franchise as a whole. And I felt a tremendous responsibility to, to, to do that justice, not only for Jenny's books and all the fans who are so devoted, but also just for this very, I think, meaningful franchise in, in this moment in cinematic history. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you, <laughs> you literally were like reading off my notes of my next question. Cause I, I felt I, <laughs> I can feel the pressure for you, this kind of dealing with the the pressures of the fans from the films, the fans of the books, uh, being loyal to the book while also serving uh, the cinematic masters that you need to do. Um, it, it, it seems like a, a very tall task. Like, how did you approach that? You've done film adaptations before, I believe. Uh, so yeah. it, it, it seems like it's a very unique skill set to kind of bridge the gap between those things. But ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, you're making a film that has to be coherent uh, to people who are, you know, maybe getting this material for the first time. Uh, so how did you tackle this one once you knew it was your job? That's a great question. Um, I have done a lot of, uh, book adaptations, both in TV and in film. And um, I, my rule, there's a lot of writers that, that take on adaptations where they really love the concept, but they're not really planning to keep anything from the book. Right. Uh, and that's a perfectly reason. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a perfectly reasonable way to do adaptations. And sometimes that's really appropriate. In general, I've tended to only respond to source material that I really loved Um, And so the thing that I always feel a responsibility to, especially when I'm working on something that has such a strong fan base, like to all the boys and some of the other projects that I've worked on is while changes will have to be made to translate from novel to screen, I'm always very conscious of wanting those changes to feel true to the spirit of the source material tonally uh, in terms of choices that characters would make. Um, I remember in um, in Jenny's book, there's a scene where um, Peter basically does a 16 candles birthday thing for mm-hmm. Lara Jean. Right. Uh, I knew that we weren't going to be doing that. That wasn't really on the table in terms of production and whatever. But 
the fact that Lara Jean is really nostalgic for old eighties movies was not only part of her character, but also in the, the literature of, or sort of the canon of the films. And so I knew that we needed to find something that would work for this movie that was in the spirit of that. And so I ended up pitching Michael this idea to do, you know, Peter always plans these kind of movie themed dates for Lara Jean. What if she plans one for him based off of one of his movies? And I remember I was trying to figure out, well, Fight Club, would it be like a soap making date? That seems a little weird. And so I, I pitched him a couple of ideas and I said, well, what about bowling for the Big Lebowski? And he really liked that idea. And so that was an, that's an example of that scene isn't in the book, but it's still inspired by and true to the spirit of something really special that Jenny created. Right. And, and you and you keep mentioning uh, Jenny Han quite rightly, obviously, as she is the brilliant author of these books. What is um, your relationship to Jenny, I mean, because when I spoke to to Michael Feminari, uh, he did say he was very grateful to have uh, not only you know her source material that he can go back to for for his own work, but then also kind of you know have her availability when he need yeah. when he needed her as well. So uh, you know, how did you work with her, uh, or or maybe you didn't uh, during the process of writing the script. Yeah, no, I, I did definitely. I mean, Jenny, um, uh, Jenny and I became friends through the process of doing this film. And also one of her very good friends is an author named Jennifer E. Smith, who wrote the novel, The Statistical Probability of Love at First Sight, which is the movie that I wrote that is filming right now. So I'm basically just trying to insert myself into <laughs> Jenny's friend group. Um, but right. <laughs> Uh, similarly with Michael, like Jenny gave notes on the script. She had great feedback, great pitches. Always. We would talk about things. It was, it was, um, I ended up meeting her for the first time on the set of to all the boys too. She was there and I was uh, brought up to Vancouver where it was shooting to meet Michael and her and the whole production team as I was writing the third film. So that was the first time that she and I met. And um, I was nervous about meeting her. Of course, you know, I, as a writer, you, I always feel, like I said, a responsibility to try to be true to the spirit of the books. And especially with somebody who's already had so much success and is, is, has created something that has already has such a loyal fan base. I, I was really nervous about meeting her and I felt I really wanted her to like the script, uh, which is the thing that I always feel. The most important thing to me is when the author reads it, do they feel like I destroyed their book or I did it justice? <laughs> right. um, so I was very fortunate to have Jenny to bounce ideas off of and to, and to, you know, pitch lines of dialogue and pitch scenes and solutions to things. Um, I feel really fortunate to have had her, um, creative input throughout the whole process. And that's something I try to do with all, um, as much as possible, all the authors, uh, that I've worked with on their source material, if, if they're open to it or willing, or if it works with the process. Um, because I, I see myself really as a translator when I'm adapting those characters and those voices have already been created by somebody else. And while I'm, able to interpret them and and continue them in this in this medium it's so invaluable to have the creator of those characters be somebody that you can talk to and go hey what do you think about something like this and have them go like no that character would never do that <laughs> or go yeah that seems right or what about something like this so um i think also because i've worked so much in television which is such a collaborative process um i really think that it's valuable to get feedback from lots of 
brilliant, smart people whenever possible. I'm not um, maybe more of what a traditional feature writer personality is in terms of not being somebody that is used to collaborating with multiple people. Some feature writers, like they go in their room and they come out with a brilliant thing and they don't get any feedback from anyone, but I'm not brilliant enough to be able to do that. <laughs> so I lean on collaborators as much as possible because I just think it always makes the work better. For sure. I, I would imagine that's that's a invaluable resource to have. And, and she seems like she was uh, very good at kind of being around but not you know being dominating in the presence there just being there as a reference and a resource and a and a welcome to one at that um what do you think about this film and these characters in particular like what it what appealed to you at first um what did this mean to you and then how did you use that to write this script for me one of the things that I was most excited about, about getting to write this film was I felt like the thing that's so wonderful about Lara Jean as a character is that at the beginning of the books and the beginning of the franchise, she's really, she's kind of nostalgic for a love she hasn't even really had before. Right. Um, she sort of romanticizes what love is and what romance is. And I really saw her journey through the three movies and the three books as going from someone who lives in the fantasy to somebody who faces the real world reality of what it means to love someone and what it means to have to choose them and how to navigate what it means to grow up and become an adult while you're in a relationship with someone that you love. Um, you know, my, my husband and I, we met uh, when I was 20, so not high school, but really young. And we've been together a very long time now. And we use this analogy of, um, you know, a relationship is like a house. And if, you know, if, if each person is one side of the walls of the house and then you have the roof, right? If one person grows at a rate that way outclips the other person, the roof falls and the house falls down. Right. Um, and so I really saw this as an opportunity to explore how do you grow up and grow with someone and not have... Um, a relationship holds you back or stop you from pursuing your dreams, but nevertheless navigate what happens when life is maybe taking you in different directions and how do you um, still choose to love each other and still choose the relationship. Um, and that has certainly in some ways been my experience having met my husband so young. And so I really felt like I was able to bring that personal experience to it. But also I thought it was a really amazing opportunity. Jenny told an amazing story about a young woman choosing herself and her future and also choosing the boy that she loves, but not sacrificing herself or what she wants for herself for a boy. And I just thought that that was a really meaningful and important message for young people. And I was thrilled to have the opportunity to bring that to life in this franchise because there is actually something very romantic about that. And it's not the typical romantic uh maybe trope that you would imagine but i think that there's actually that's what real love is and that's what real relationships are and i i've always loved the realism of this of these books and this franchise while it is you know a movie and fun and heightened and has all these fantasy elements and all this style and tone the thing that has always appealed to me about Lara Jean as a character is that she does feel so real. And so, and that there's like an earnestness and a, and a sweetness to her as a character. And so 
that for me was the thing that I got most excited about was I felt like I could really tap into that from my own personal experiences, but I also felt that that was a really meaningful message to give to young people in a young adult franchise film or just even in a young adult romance film at all. So um, again, hats off to Jenny for creating that. And I just feel so grateful to Matt Kaplan and Netflix and Michael and everybody who uh, believed in me to do it because you know, I hadn't had a produced film credit before this and it's really hard to get the first one. <laughs> it's really, really hard to get people to believe in you to do it. And so I'm just so grateful to all of them for, for picking me and letting, and letting me run with this. Yeah. You kind of mentioned it before about, you know, trying to honor these characters and trying to honor the arc of all three while you're doing this, as well as what is from the book and, and everything else. I think that was the most impressive thing that, I took away from watching this film, especially now I've watched it multiple times. I feel like it infused a lot of the things, just the little bits of what I personally truly liked about the first couple movies, like uh, the family elements, mm -hmm. uh, the, the bringing back, you know, kind of the honoring of the mother, you know, yeah. but, you know, and also, you know, the sister relationships and and kind of infusing a little more fun because the second one, you know, has a little bit more heaviness to it uh, sure. at times. And this one, I feel with the maturation of Laura Jean uh, that you're getting something a lot more grounded and stable while and dealing with, you know, a lot of real life stuff. But yeah. I, I feel like it still ends with something that is completely these characters and and a lot of the hearkening back to stuff from the previous movies i can only speak for the movies i haven't actually read the books i apologize but um <laughs> you know a little a little out of my y range uh, for those <laughs> but uh, that's not to say i don't appreciate these movies i actually like them quite a bit um but i think that's definitely the thing that impressed me the most so so hats off to you for Thanks. for kind of infusing that and and part of the fun aspect uh, i did talk to michael about this as well is um a lot of the 90s references definitely yeah. hit home to me is there a lot of that stuff in the book i know that uh michael definitely attributed as you as you spoke on the idea of the the big lebowski thing um how much of you know the you know the Spice Girls stuff and the Oasis and and all these other things were in there. Or did you just you know kind of infuse some of that into the script to match up with some of the stuff that was in the book? Well, you know, God, at this point, this is terrible that I'm going to say this, but the <laughs> creative process is so fluid that there are some things that I can't remember if they came from the book or if it was from the movies or not. So that's like For a sure. terrible terrible <laughs> admission, but it's true. Um, as I recall, there, there's a thing in the third book that gave me this idea, um, which was the idea that they, as a couple need to pick a song. Um, I'm, I'm right. pretty sure that that's in the third book. I, I don't, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty, pretty sure that that's where that came from. And the specifics of, of what we were able to pick was kind of a combination of, you know, what music you can actually clear and all those things, but also just like sure. really trying to think about what Peter's personality would be and what's something that like music that he would like that Lara Jean would kind of think was lame. But then when you actually listen to it, you go like, Oh, it's actually a great song. Um, and so uh, for, you know, for me, 
Oasis was like a band that I loved when I was in high school. Like I just, I loved their stuff. And so for, for me, the, that specific reference was kind of like a homage to my, this, the me of high school. Right. Um, but again, I think that when I came in to do the third movie, and this is part of the reason I said, like, I don't really remember where it came from. I, Cause I was steeping myself in both the books and the movies. And by the time I'd gotten there, you know, Sophia Alvarez, the writer of the first movie and the second movie with Jay Mills Goodlow, they had both done so much work to establish tone and character and same with Michael as well. Um, you know, I obviously knew that the second movie had that adventures and babysitting opening dance homage. And obviously in the first movie, there's all those references to, you know, in the movies that they're going to make each other watch. And so those were things that came from the book, but also were brought to life in a very specific way in the movies. And so as much as possible, I was kind of, I was, I would have the book open on one side and my no, on my notes on the book and then my notes on all the movies on the other side of my computer. Right. And I was sort of always cherry picking from both and trying to, and, and trying to make sure that I was doing both justice as much as I could. Right. Uh, and also there's a thing that I do every time I'm adapting uh, a novel, especially if it's a really popular novel is I go on, I forget which website it is, but fans basically submit their favorite quotes Oh, okay. um, so you can like look to all the boys always and forever best quotes and this website will pop up and and basically the favorite quotes from the book that fans will submit are there and same with the second and first books there were I think a quote or two that I pulled from one of the other books um, and that's another way that I try to make sure to really bring the voice of the of the you know Jenny's voice and the novels to life as well is going well, what are some of the fan favorite quotes can I find a way to put some of those in in certain places in this movie um so for me the process is a very especially on this on this movie which is unique because there were two movies preceding it already that had been created um it was a very organic process of looking at the books looking at the movies and trying to fuse as much as i could from both into the adaptation yeah, and like I said, I think you did a, a brilliant job of bridging Thank that you so gap. Much. <laughs> uh, it's it's impressive to me to to kind of like you said, uh, you know, serve, you know, spin all these plates. So many characters, so many people carried over from previous films. Uh, you know that you have to try to give them some kind of you know bow on their stories while really serving to the the main plot, the a plot of you know Laura Jean more than even Laura Jean and Peter. So because right. we were, we're introduced to his family and I think everybody gets a satisfying conclusion, whether, you know, that is something that was able to be taken from the book or whether that's your own keystrokes there. Uh, excellent job with that. Cause it's so hard. I mean, uh, we just came out of, I mean, I'll speak for myself, everybody, you know, followed game of thrones for a long time and then everybody gets to the end and you're like whoa 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 what <laughs> sure yeah totally yeah. i know i know and i was really afraid of that i was really afraid of letting the fans down or or people watching it and going this is too different from the book or people watching it and going like this doesn't hold up to the other two movies uh, there were just like so many ways that i could fail that <laughs> <Right. laughs> yeah. i felt like i said a tremendous responsibility both as a both as an artist but also 
um, just as a, as a human who knows what it's like to really love something. And, sure. and um, I, you know, I, one of the things that I thought was really cool about this movie was that it was an opportunity to tie up some of the minor characters storylines too, like Chris and Trevor and the right. sisters. And um, that was really exciting to me because they do have, you know, in a book you're able to kind of more, fully explore all the emotional nuances of different characters that are you're not really able to do in the same way in movies and so um for me it was really exciting to have an opportunity to try to close up some of those stories that that were so uh well handled in jenny's books i just remember the feeling of finishing her books and feeling so emotional for the feeling of saying goodbye like this movie is a goodbye both for the characters within the movie but also for people saying goodbye to this franchise. And yeah. for me, when you look at, I, you know, I've written all kinds of genres. I've adapted all different kinds of things. I've written in film. I've written in TV. I don't really have like, I'm the YA writer. Or I'm the X writer. The thing that ties all of the thing, all of the work that I've done together is there's always a very small thread of grief in the storylines that I like to, hmm. um, that, that attracts me to a piece of source material. And one of the things that I loved about Lara Jean as a character is there is a lot of grief in her, in her story because of losing her mother. And that grief is actually one of the things that makes her and Peter attracted to each other in the first movie is this depth of loss and parental loss. Yeah. And I knew that telling a story about graduation and going off to college and also again, the sort of the meta of finishing out this franchise that there were going to be a lot of goodbyes for people. And I think goodbyes are beautiful and emotional. And so um, I was really excited about trying to say goodbye to all of the characters as, as best that we, as I could as a, both for Jenny and her novels and the fans, but also for the fans of the movies and, and how people are going to feel when that movie ends and the franchise is over and there's not another Peter and Lara Jean movie. Like that's, that's a that's emotional. That's emotional for me as somebody who is a fan of the movies. So, yeah, I hope people will feel like it's a a fitting goodbye to those characters and the franchise. What do you think people will take away from this film, especially like young girls who are maybe going through a version of this right now as seniors deciding their futures? There's a a scene between Lara Jean and her father that's in the trailer, so I feel like I can say it because it's not going to spoil anything. But he <laughs> yeah. says. He says to Lara Jean, you can't save this relationship by not growing. And that's the thing that I really hope people will take away from this movie is that, you know, I remember what it was like. I had a boyfriend when I was a senior in college and we were going to different colleges. And um, I remember, I just remember the feeling of feeling like it was so, it was such a difficult decision. And it was, it was an absolutely difficult decision but my hope is that people, especially young, young girls and also young boys who, who like, who follow and love these characters in this franchise, that they will see this as a sign that the way to honor a relationship is by growing. And that if, if you really love someone and they really love you, the challenge is to try to grow together and not try to hold each other back in order to cling to each other. That's the thing that I really hope people will take away from it. And also that um, 
travel is something we will all be able to do again someday. And then when <laughs> we will, it's a magical, amazing thing that opens your eyes up to, to the world. I, you know, I'm the, the positive of my journey and my story is that I started working really young and I've been writing professionally through, I wrote professionally through my whole twenties, but the dark side is that I was very work focused and I didn't really do much travel. I didn't travel much as a, as a kid or a young person. That wasn't really something that my family had the resources to do. And I didn't study abroad in college and I didn't really travel until my husband and I went on our honeymoon three years after we got married. Cause it took us that long to save up. We went to Ireland for three weeks and that was my first time traveling internationally. And it was a really transformative experience for me, leaving the country, going to a different place. And so that's another big part of growing up. And that was something that I loved about these movies was, you know, I came to that a little late. Lara Jean has that ex experience kind of at a more age appropriate time than <laughs> right, I did. Yeah. But, uh, but that's, that's a big part of the story too. And so I hope it encourages people, good relationships, make your life expand and, and crack open and blossom. They shouldn't close your life down. And that's what Peter does for Lara Jean. And that's what I hope you know, young people will will recognize that their relationships can and should be as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and I took that from this film, too. And I thought that was a great message to, to not only end the franchise on, but just for everyone kind of going through this situation right now to kind of not only see the optimism in the travel, as you said, or even just seeing normalization in proms and dances and all and graduations and everything but also to know how to handle these decisions and and to yeah. really you know make it your own and and kind of you know it's a collaboration but also know who you are and and go forward with that and stay true to that and yeah I, it's it's that uh you know cliche of follow your heart but it's a cliche for a reason people say it for a reason and so the thing that's so beautiful about this story is that there's there's two pieces of Lara Jean's heart. There's Peter and then there's her future. And the thing that's beautiful about this story is that she is true to both of them. And I think that that's the thing that I wish for young people um, and that hopefully they will take away from this film. Absolutely. And by the way, kudos to the uh, the Ireland honeymoon too. I did the same. So uh, it's always oh, a good really? starting that's off awesome. point. Yeah, it was the first time I left the country too. So uh, uh, Look at great, that. great idea all the way around. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Ireland is a great place. Yeah. Rainy, but great. Yes, absolutely. And I did it for all the great selfish reasons of being so pale and so Irish <laughs> that uh, all the Cancuns were off the table for me at that point. So uh, it was there a beautiful was a, time. There was a great um, Scottish guy that we ended up meeting in a pub in Galway who said there's no such thing as bad weather, only inappropriate clothing. And I've, <laughs> I've held that. I've held that to me forever i think that he was a very wise man that's fantastic i'll have to use that with my <laughs> wife one day uh, but thank you so much for taking the time katie this was a great yeah thanks uh, for having me i really hope that people will enjoy it and i'm really like i said this was my first time ever doing an interview and it was really exciting for me so thanks for having me <laughs> oh no problem and, and congratulations again on all your success thank you so much 